today on a very special episode of the Enneagram Journey. Wow. You can go now. I thought I might stay over tonight. Why? Because we're girlfriend-boyfriend. To do what? I'm actually not sure. Oh, but I don't want you here. Mm-hmm. Is it Ken? Ken's just a really good friend. And this is my dream house. It's Barbie's dream house. It's not Ken's dream house, right? <laughs> right, as always. And it's girls' night. Come on, Barbie! Hey, Dad, how come you never told me about Joseph Smith? Who? The guy who spoke to God and Jesus. Well, Stan, God and Jesus don't actually speak to people. That's not what the Harrison said. Mr. Harrison said that Joseph Smith spoke to God and Jesus, and they told him none of the religions were right. Oh, did he now? Mr. Harrison said that I need to be following Heavenly Father's plan, and I don't even know what that is. All right, that does it. I'm going to go have a talk with this Mr. Harrison. If he thinks he can fill my son's head with wacko religious crap, he's wrong. You know, to be honest, I've never known any Mormons. I don't even know what you people believe. Who was this Joseph Smith guy? Why did he believe that Native Americans were actually white people from Jerusalem? I mean, I feel like, I feel like we're working with, with adults here. I'm not a babysitter. You are a babysitter. Welcome to management. I expect them to act like adults when they're at work and do what they're supposed to do. And they expect to be led by somebody who takes them down a path of success. Are they leading you to success? Who the hell's making money? No one. You're the one who's wrong. I'm just kidding. This is just the Enneagram Journey Podcast with your host and Enneagram Godmother, Suzanne Stabile. I'm especially excited for today's show because I get to show off some of my friends. Over the years, you've probably heard me mention my Monday group. The pandemic hit and LTM started online virtual small groups. My first Enneagram Journey curriculum group has continued to meet nearly every week to present day, even though we've lost a few members along the way. Not to death, just, you know, people fall off. I've been fortunate enough to meet all of our group either here in Dallas or when we've traveled for workshops. Now you get to meet some of them too. This podcast episode is a great example of how our meetings tend to go. We have a plan or subject to discuss and then the conversation goes wherever it goes. Today our plan was to talk with Suzanne about small groups and the role that they played, specifically this small group, in our lives. Next thing you know, we're going to be talking about the shadow side and false self Spiral Dynamics, and Barbie. LTM is thrilled that we get to host five individual cohorts in 2024. Soon, we'll be posting the dates, expectations, and applications for the 2025 cohort program. We're also about to start three new small groups, one in person at the Mike Center and two online via Zoom. 
Visit lifeinthetrinityministry.com and check it out. We also have several great resources and suggestions for you to start your own group. And there are so many small group guides and curriculums that you can find on your own that are just fantastic. I hope today's show inspires you to join a small group. Like we say at LTM, Enneagram work is solitary work that cannot be done alone. Um, her iconic wallpaper is there. I know. Uh, but that, I don't see her. That's how I know her. I saw her a minute ago. She'll be uh, back. Uh, she sent me a text this morning. And if you can hear me, the answer is, yeah, just ask whatever you want. And Suzanne says, I don't want to answer that. She doesn't have to answer it. And we just edited out that you asked it. it. It's that easy. Has anybody ever asked a question I didn't answer? Me, a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anybody important. We've gotten one or... <laughs> oh, important. I don't know. Good God, that was hurtful. I'm sorry. We won't edit that out just so people Oh, we're just going to leave it yeah. so people know how poorly you're treated. Yeah. <laughs> My idea was we're about to, we being LTM, is about to post uh, a couple more classes for people to do online small groups, uh, one online and one in person here at the Micah Center. After this group initially did the first Enneagram curriculum, you might have done a Zoom with us. Does that sound right? So that'd be back in 2020. I mean, we had time on our hands. Kind of one point of this is to hear the journey from y'all. Like, why'd you sign up for the group in the first place? That small group in the spring of 2020. And then now here we are in the almost spring of 2024. And just, you know, has anything changed? Ho- hopefully, yes. And then also, of course, a good opportunity to ask the Enneagram Godmother questions about whatever y'all want to ask as well. People that are listening, there are six of us, plus Suzanne, on our meeting today. Correct me when I say anything wrong. Six to eight, you know, is kind of now at where we're at as far as just each week. Uh, there's people that meet most weeks that aren't with us today for different reasons. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the, the range. And it started with the 25 initially for our Enneagram Journey Curriculum Group. And then we did maybe the path between a study guide after that. And we had probably, I don't know, like 15 or something. I don't know. And then for the past probably two years, it's been the same study group. As a future-oriented person, am I remembering this correctly? Yeah, we did the path between us stuff. And then I think we did uh, about six months of spiritual practices mm-hmm. where we would try our everybody's favorite centering prayer. <laughs> and then other... You know, I can't remember all the ones we tried, but we try them as a group because it kind of helped keep each other accountable a little bit. I'd be curious. You all know when they do a, a documentary or a maybe even not documentary, but a reality contest of some sort. All right. Here, here's an example of both sides of this bar rescue. Have you all ever seen that? I think his name's John Tapper. He's he's insane. I couldn't I couldn't do it if he talked to me the way he talks to people. Uh, that's not a way to motivate me. But. He'll come in, and this bar is in shambles. There's all these problems with it. And then he'll say, here's how you fix it, and here's what we do, and I want to help you, and all this stuff. And then they do it. And then they'll show at the very end where they went back like six months later, and some of them are still on the right track yeah. and going yeah. well and yeah. good trajectory, and others didn't like the changes and went back, and it's still trash. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that the people that haven't continued with our group fall into that <laughs> latter category, but, you know, we only get to see this side of of the, the people that keep up with it. 
Well, and it, it is a time during the week when some people might not be able to keep up with it oh, for yeah. some reason or another. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, all I know is that um, I'm considering uh, writing another book, and I, I'm wondering if I take that step, how many people are going to come with me? Because it's the deeper you go, the smaller the audience generally. Now Maria's joined. So if you don't mind, just, and again, don't worry about talking on top of each other when you first start because we'll, we'll clean it up a little bit later. Everyone on right now, we were all at boot camp together. That's right. Yeah. Maria wasn't. Um, but Maria came for something else. That's right. That threw me off. I came for, um, I came about a year ago um, uh, to your, to LTM. Yeah. With my friend Shelly. Matt's been on the podcast. Matt and Jennifer and uh, Marty have all been in cohorts. And the rest of us have all done different workshops and things and stuff. Real quick, just to kind of highlight what Suzanne just said. Why people fall off. I think what you find is like with the first book, it's kind of fun because you're you're learning fun things about you. And that's where the the fun ends shortly after that. <laughs> because you're now starting to have to be responsible for, for learning about you. And I think the deeper you go is but fun. Uh, less fun, but there's a lot more fruit in your life and relationships, uh, at work, at home in your communities. And so honestly, I think once you stop learning kind of the fun, uh, what is it called? Parla trivia type stuff about yourself in the early stages is, is when people have to decide, is this, is this really, am I doing this just because it's fun or am I doing this to, to grow and, and to become a, a more loving and well-rounded person? And so I, I think that scares a lot of people off and there's time it still scares me off because it'd be a lot easier just to not work. Mm-hmm. So I'd be curious too. at that time at 2020, if LTM had 10 people that started small groups, I bet they all would have filled. It, it was 2020. I wonder how many people started something, right. you know, oh. and then, you know, some time went by and, and they had to go back to work mm-hmm. like at a place yeah. and all the things that have happened. 2020 is just a weird time to look at and judge about anything. Well, yeah. Now, if y'all want to check in and say who you are and, and whatever you want to say, for, and then we'll keep going. That way people know. Normally with a podcast, it's like, here's Suzanne and um, and Josh Graves. So you want us to tell you, like, our name, Enneagram number, and then, like, what led us to join the group? Yeah. or And, you know, just kind of a little bit of your journey. You know, kind of like uh, less detailed than at a cohort for you cohort people because that goes crazy. And more detailed than... You know, when we, hey, what's, uh, you've never met people and your favorite color and the name of your dog and that kind of stuff. Okay, well, I can go first. Um, I'm Chelsea. I'm an Enneagram 8 with a strong seven wing. I was led to the group, I truly feel like, by like divine intervention or something. Um, I had attended, I believe the first boot camp was prior to this group beginning, right? It was in like, I think that was in August and this group started in September. Is that right? September, 2020. Okay. There we go. Oh, I said spring earlier. That was my bad. Uh, so do you think the first boot, the first boot camp that was, that was streamed was before that or after? Before that, that was the, the one that was broken okay. up into two parts. The, yep, uh-huh. mm-hmm. 
um, I attended that and I, I was watching it at a time. Um, I just had a child and was kind of going through this phase of knowing that where I was in life, like that, that season was coming to a close. I just had no idea what was going to be next and how I was going to get out of that season of my life. And then obviously COVID happened. And um, prior to all this, I ran a business and was, was totally immersed in that. Um, and then when it was obviously taken away during COVID, um, I just realized like I have no community outside of this place that I run and lead. And even before that, I knew I was lonely, but I didn't understand the depth of it. And um, I was just desperate to find that just a group to, as Suzanne puts it, go on the journey with. And so I remember that cohort or that um, boot camp being really impactful. Um, I remember I watched it all the way through twice and like literally the second time I was like, oh, I've heard if you write things down in, with pencil in a journal that it'll stick. And I, so the second time I literally would like push play, write every single word down, pause and like go as fast as I can and wrote down that entire transcript to read over and over. And it was like, okay, that felt, there was something to that whole Enneagram stuff. Um, I felt like seeing for the first time and learning my number and all that sort of thing. And um, I tried to get people around me to get into that and that wasn't really working so well. So I was like, well, I'll just go to the source. And then it just happened to be that the next week was when the cohort started and just on a whim, I decided to sign up and I, it was one of the biggest blessings of my whole life. I love that story. I guess I'll go next. I'm Jennifer and I'm a four and I totally agree with Chelsea. Like, I feel like it was like divine intervention that somehow I landed in this group. Like God knew what he was doing <laughs> um, because there's just me and Marty were actually talking earlier today, like it has created this openness in my life that has allowed so many other things to come. And it really feels like this was somewhat of like the starting point that allowed that openness. And, um, so going back a little bit, um, I feel that, or the way that I kind of feel like my LTM story started was I was going to be going to my first LTM conference in Austin on March 13th, 2020. And I feel like Joel's emails were what broke the news to me that the pandemic had definitely started. <laughs> we were already, because I live in Belton, Texas, which is about an hour outside of Austin. So we were already in Austin, prepared to go to that conference when you know, Joel had been emailing back and forth, it's still on, it's still on. And then all of a sudden, nope, guys, it's over. And so that was like, we were like, okay, well, we're already in Austin. We might as well go out to eat one last time. And that was the last time we went out to eat for many, many months. Oh, man. <laughs> um, and so through that, you know, all of a sudden I had a lot of time on my hands. I work in the um, party industry and all of a sudden all the work stopped that very day because nobody's having parties. And so I occupied a lot of my time with um, the live streams that you guys did at the beginning of the pandemic. And I just, I had already been really listening to the podcast and all of that. And there's just something about 
what you're speaking towards that was just what I needed to hear at that stage in my life. And it wasn't just Enneagram. It was like the Enneagram opened up a lot of other things in terms of my faith and kind of going through a period of deconstruction um, and revealing a lot of beliefs that I had been going through. And just, I feel like the Enneagram kind of opened up a new level of consciousness and that was like the start towards a lot of other things. And um, then I remember getting like the emails about joining a group and I was very hesitant. That's not something I normally do. I don't like talking on Zoom, all of that kind of stuff. But there is just something that propelled me towards it. And truly, I have met some of my best friends through this and I in a time when I felt very alone in my community in terms of um, going down a different spiritual path than I feel like a lot of people were ready to go down, I had this group to talk me through it and um, kind of give me the um, confidence to own what I felt and what I believed and, and a practice saying it out loud. Since then, I have now found a community, like in real life, you know, that um, that has a lot of those same characteristics and stuff. And I just truly don't think, I think without LTM and this group, I all of those little things wouldn't have fallen into place. So I'm very grateful. I'll go. Um, my name is Maria and I'm a... An Enneagram two wing one. And um, my husband is from the South of France and his friends all took private Enneagram classes with a coach named Anne-Sophie, a French woman. And they uploaded so much information to us, but it would be at the end of the night. And I speak French, but it's my second language. So they would just be going on and on like, like just all of a sudden, at midnight be throwing all these numbers I'm like what are you talking about it just seems like this enigmatic um system and then my husband in March of 2020 signed us up for a private consultation with this uh French woman to go over our final numbers and it took about I was about supposed to be a five six month course so we did that and um and it went really, really well. And we both got very into it and um, were able to have conversations in France with our friends that are there um, that got really deep really quickly. And so, but then I wanted more and my husband was kind of, was done at, at that point. Uh, we still use it together as a family, but um, you know, in, in, in conversation, but uh, I wanted to go deeper. And so I, uh, a friend of mine, Renee, uh, was part of uh, this group, but the group that went with the other leader. And I remember telling her, I'm like, I scored, I got her son. <laughs> I'm like, I'm with Joel. So um, and she was in the other group and she didn't continue after that. She, she's a part of my mom's group at church and she was concerned, uh, kind of one of those Christians that was concerned that it was taking up too, too much space in her brain um, because she just also really got into it. And for me, I just never found it threatening. I found it so enriching. Um, and then this group 
we all traveled together. We spent a lot of time in France and in Portugal during the pandemic because the schools were open and um, the lifestyle was really open. And I appreciated that because I was really drowning. I had a um, toddler, a first grader and a third grader here at the house and all of the needs, I was drowning in their needs. So anyway, this was a, a real lifesaver for me. And um, this group traveled with me. I'd, I'd, it'd be nine hours ahead. and <laughs> But we would, I was like, this is where I'm at. And and so it's and then I was able to go to LTM um, that uh, about last February and that was really special to meet you and to hug Rana and to hug Joel that was really really special so I this this group is so important to me. Let's just knock out all three twos right here. Let's uh yeah if you're if you're two you go next. <laughs> Marty hit that on mute button. You know you want to. Okay okay. Um, it's just such an interesting story. I had been exposed to the Enneagram in the early 90s, kind of forgot about it. I was living in St. Louis, and the people that I was working with, the young, young people at my church, were always talking and laughing about something. I finally asked them what it was in 2016 uh, or 17, and they said, oh, it's this thing called the Enneagram. And um, I said, I know about that, but I can't remember anything. How do I learn? And they said, Oh, we'll go get this book called The Road Back to You. And I said, well, funny thing, my sister just sent me a copy sitting by my bed. So I immediately read it and just was taken and so couldn't believe how something wrote about people that I knew and myself. Um, so I started listening to your podcast and then um, fast forward to March 2020. And luckily, I think, again, I think it was a God thing that I found the quarantine videos and I would be in my house transcribing every word, laughing, crying, just like, who is looking into my life? Who, <laughs> But also, who is experiencing life like I am? I, mean, I couldn't believe it. And I guess I'd heard about the curriculum, you know, the 12-week um, Enneagram Journey curriculum, but thought, oh, who could ever go to Dallas to do that? I live in St. Louis, Missouri. So when you all made it known that you put it online, I thought, okay, this is it. It's now or never. So in May, I decided to lead a group and um, you all sent me the guide. And I'm like, okay, well, well here we go. Got some family, my husband's family, my family, friends from church, and we did the curriculum. And then you all advertised that you were doing a group. And I thought, oh, I really love this, but I better take from someone who knows what they're doing. <laughs> so I signed up in uh, September and uh, fortunately ended up in this Monday. I kind of knew Monday, you know, anything I do on Monday usually gets done. And after that, it's, it's a little more questionable. So ended up in this amazing group, have kept leading groups. I'm now in leading the 10th curriculum journey, Suzanne of yours, all your curriculum, all y'all stuff from LTM and um, just learn something new every time. So I really appreciate that. Again, this group, you know, we all met, many of us met last year at the boot camp. Some of us have met earlier at boot camp since 2020. And that will be an annual event for me going to Dallas to the boot camp. Um, but I feel like I've known this group forever and it was just sharing in a way and being known in a way that I um, really hadn't experienced uh, before. So just cannot be more grateful and totally feel like it's kind of the Holy Spirit blowing through all of this. That's my story. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Hillary. Okay. Okay. Here I go. Okay. So I first met Suzanne in Greenwich a long time ago. Um, I think I took two or three of your classes when you were there, loved them. Then I went on to a boot camp. Like, I don't, I, 
I should have looked it up, but I didn't, but it was a long time ago. And I do know that there was a lovely woman named Jenny that was there when I got there from Christ Church and we kind of connected, which was lovely. She was a pastor, uh, assistant pastor there. And, um, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, I just need more of this. So um, I was invited to come on to that September class. I honestly don't even know how, but I looked at the list and I read all the bios and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am so in to know more about this. And I think what really hooked me for the journey was my childhood messages. I think they really resonated with me. Um, and it's like, oh my gosh, other people feel like this. Other people have responded to this and it was just so um, helpful. And um, then being in this group and just growing with all these, I mean, we are a little heavy on twos, Suzanne, which is good for me and Marty and Maria and all the other twos in this group. But um, we do have a wonderful um, selection of numbers. And we did a bunch of us meet for boot camp um, this summer, which was awesome in Dallas. We had an Airbnb, which of course, you know, your son organized for us. And um, so I just feel like I've learned and there's been so many life experiences for me with four sons and nine grandchildren that um, have just made me calmer and more understanding and just wanting to know more and realizing that not everybody thinks the way I do and not everybody wants to do, do, do like I want to do. So um it's been incredibly helpful and um, we're blessed to have Joel and his sense of humor and his insights. And um, yeah, just thank you for all that you do to help us grow into the men and women that the Lord wants us to be. All right. Well, we'll let Rana finish up. <laughs> I'm at Enneagram six, um, just sitting here trying to think through my Enneagram journey. I think it started in 2018 during the summer. Uh, wife introduced me to the Road Back to You podcast series as we were driving to uh, Springfield, Missouri for vacation um, and um, kind of got a little interested in it. And I'm kind of someone that's skeptical, like a like a good six uh, at first. But once once something checks out, I, I dive full in. There is no there is no dabbling um, probably to to a fault. Um started reading other authors. Um, some were good. Some were, I'm finding not so good. Considered, I believe the cohort in 2019, put it off, but I'll go next year. And of course that was the pandemic year. So that didn't happen. And knowing that when the email came out in, um, 2020 about the, the Enneagram group, I thought, well, I can't do a cohort, but Hey, you know, this is great. Um, so signed up, course all nervous like like every every good good <laughs> and um kind of got got involved that way it's been a real blessing in a lot of regards because i don't i don't i don't think god works on uh, singular paths i think he brings different events different uh, curriculum if you will or wisdom teachings um into your life when you need it um kind of like jennifer um i think i had already started an unconscious period of, of a little bit of uh, distangling some of the, the beliefs I was growing up with. Um, and this, the Enneagram uh, gave me language and also allowed me to know that, hey, yeah, this is going to scare the hell out of you. 
but that's okay because that's how I'm wired. And um, also to what Jennifer said, it gave me a group uh, of people that are safe. And I think that's probably the one thing that, that makes a group work. If a group does not feel safe, you're not going to get good participation and good interaction. And where none of the folks, which they're all part of my life now, but at the time they, it was a safe, I, I didn't ever have to see him again, except for on Mondays. And so I was able to be honest with myself verbally to other people and process through some of the things I'm wrestling with. So I think the Enneagram group as a whole, uh, teaches you the language to, to work through life and the wisdom that comes with knowing how, how you see the world and how others see the world. Um, it gives you that language. And then the real goal is, is being with a group of people that are safe, that you can start uh, expressing and wrestling and, and not feel like you're, you're totally crazy. But so that's my, that's my story. Hey, Rana and I'm an eight and uh, my journey to you was very interesting. My son was in college and he had a counseling course and they took an Enneagram test. And uh, he asked if he could download it because he was on our plan. And I said, sure, but like a good mom, anything they download, I wanted to see. So I looked at it, took the test. It said what I was. I didn't even know what it meant. Put it aside. Having breakfast with my sister and she says, what she saw the little emblem on my phone. She said, what do you know about the Enneagram? I said, nothing. Ryan downloaded it. And I was just, uh, I just wanted to see what it was. And she said, my mentor sent me this book, the road back to you and said, it changed his life. And so I immediately went out and got the book and I have to tell you, nothing has told me who I am more than that. Realizing I'm an eight and in your 60s, you would think you should know people don't see the world like you. <laughs> I didn't know it. I didn't realize people didn't have that anger and the right there on the top of their surface, ready to go. I, I truly didn't. And so anyway, um, got that, read everything, listened to all the podcasts that went with that. And then um, uh, you did uh, Know Your Number in Edmond. Oklahoma. And so I went and at that, I bought the videos. Nope. I didn't buy it then. I almost bought them at that thing, but I did go to that boot camp the next year. And at the boot camp, I bought the video or the DVDs to teach, to do those classes. Um, and took me a while, set up my first one and my first, our first get together to watch the DVDs together, then to go on was when the pandemic hit. And so we never met. Saw the sign up, signed up to, I thought it'll help if someone else leads it and then I can see how you lead the group. And that's how I got in with this wonderful group. And like I said, I just did not realize so many people see the world differently and it has helped me understand. Now I'm old, so it's I'm having a hard time changing, but at least now I have compassion that I didn't have before. Thank you. And I love everything. I was just going to say that I, I'm pretty sure that before I knew the Enneagram and didn't have the language of we just see the world differently, I just thought people were either wrong. My response was, you're just wrong about that. Or quietly to myself, I thought, 
you're just not very smart. Like that's, that is not the way life works and you're missing it somehow. I I love the, the thing that I love that you all have in common. The thing I love the most is that there was a path that led you here before you got on this path to have it be a path you take to continue your journey. Because I think there is an, uh, a curiosity that has greater depth if there are road signs that tell you that that's the way you should go. Joe says you can discern anything with an, a sounding board or another person who will tell you the truth and by watching the road signs. And that has turned out to be true. And just using different language, all of you talked about how road signs led you to this group and to Enneagram work. And I love that. One of the words that Jennifer said was confidence. Like that gave her confidence. I felt that when you said that, I never thought about that, but I definitely think that that's true for me as well. I was thinking about it in getting ready for this conversation and Matt talked to it. Some the initial 12 weeks, I honestly don't even almost remember it at this point because of how much more we've done since then. And the things that we've shared with each other after that, those 12 weeks that we didn't, weren't even close to sharing during that time, but probably wasn't the time, you know, you talk about not every story should be shared with, with everyone, everyone doesn't have that right. But then, you know, over the time, the stuff that each of us have shared because it's been a a real safe space for me personally. And one of the reasons I use the language of not everybody has earned the right to hear your story is because not everybody has. And if people haven't earned the right, you probably ought not tell more than you want to. And one of the things that happens in a group that continues to meet is you uh, recognize, I think, the space that other people have for your story. Not just for you, not just for your conversation, but for your story. And then it's safe. Have we all met everyone at this point? No. Not, not See, I'm, I'm the special one. Uh, <laughs> I got to like meet and hug Helen in North Carolina and uh, Chelsea in Wichita, I think it was. Kansas City. Kansas City. I was back home, yeah, but now I'm in Utah. Yeah. I'm, spreading, I'm, having, I'm starting an Enneagram curriculum, I think, next month um, with a bunch of Mormon people here that I'm going to get on board with it. There we go. I love that. So here's here's a story that I'll tell you. Um, I was invited to come teach in uh, Idaho and years ago. We, actually, the people who invited me to come heard me teach with Richard Rohr in Assisi, Italy. And they were there, and they decided that they wanted more. So they invited me to come to Idaho we got off the plane and they picked us up and they started using the language LDS. And I had no idea who we were talking about. I, like, I could hardly wait until I was where I was by myself and I could hardly wait till I got somewhere so I could call Joe and say, I, what is LDS? I've, I've tried everything to go with those initials and none of it works. <laughs> so that was, um, a real eye-opener for me, and 
Cheryl Fullerton, who is my uh, literary agent and editor, grew up Mormon. So then I started learning from her, and I want to know more. I, it all leaves me just wanting to know more, and I'm concerned that what's in pop culture is negative and not positive because there's obviously a great deal there that is positive. So that's my that's my LDS story. So I know the lingo now. <laughs> Real quick, you've got us. You've got me, and hopefully, I'm not the only one in the world hanging on. I don't know what who LDS is. You didn't say. That's Mormon. Latter-day Saints. Oh, okay. It's not a person. It, or, but don't get it confused with FLDS because those are the polygamist, like, offshoot. Okay. And they're the pop culture people that are stuff is written about and there are podcasts. I mean, there are podcasts and uh, documentaries about them. And then people think they know what LDS is just because they don't know the difference in LDS and FLDS. If you can get through the things that you wouldn't like in watching an episode of South Park. Uh, that, oh my gosh. The episode, That's a good episode. The episode where the Mormon family moves to smart, town. Smart, smart, South smart, Park smart. Is a riot. It's a riot. <laughs> and it's and I think it's fair to both sides. <laughs> and and they and they do point out that they're extremely friendly. It's not just yeah. It's it's pointing out more that uh, it's more personal to the founder and not saying as as a people they they show them to be very friendly, yeah, but and and kind and like genuine people. Yeah, having lived here, um, I had no background with that um, growing up, and I really didn't have very much like institutionalized religious experience of any sort. So um, that has made this group very fascinating for me in a whole different way because I've learned a lot, and it's kind of like I'm a fresh slate in that way. Um, the same thing with Mormonism, and I would argue that there are. Um, some deeply problematic things about that institution as well. Um, not quite to the extreme of the F- LDS, and and to confuse the two is definitely um, they're not the same thing at all. But well, and there are disturbing things about every institution. Oh, absolutely. Right. As soon as we institutionalize the journey or the teaching, then we start to mess it up. Right. Then. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, I want to hear more about. I want to hear about it in six months because I want to know how it, how it, what they're teaching you. Oh, yes. Yeah. I would love that conversation. Okay. Well, we will. Do again. Okay. Set that up, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but a year and a half now, and it has been, I have learned a whole lot. So it it really has been really good for me in many ways. Yeah. One of the things in looking at the screen, I'm not sure how much we've talked about it as a group, but we've definitely mentioned it at, over the years. Like who, like I don't know who the youngest individual is in our group or the oldest. Chelsea or Jennifer. Jennifer or Chelsea, I think. One, one, two. I'm 33. Yeah. So Chelsea's okay. the youngest. Chelsea's yeah. the youngest. And then someone is the oldest. We don't know who. And probably me. Probably me. <laughs> it's probably me. No, I think I think, I think we're very I just turned 73, Suzanne. Wow. Me I turned 73 in October. Oh, okay. So I'm older. Turned, you are. And wiser. And so much more. I don't know about wiser. I, so much more is probably true. And for, and for what it's worth, you're not part of our Monday group. So. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh. 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 You're a, okay. you're a guest right I'm a now. i guest with today. <laughs> I got that. <laughs> Before the last year or two, I've never heard anybody talk about the importance of uh, intergenerational groups, especially because, you know, at most churches that I've been at, 
the lack of uh, groups that have such a diversity in age is the point. Yep. And I've really embraced that in our group. And to support that, uh, every church that Joe's been appointed to, I started an intergenerational Sunday school class. And I always named it Any Age Will Do. And it was a gift to rec- for people to recognize how much wisdom uh, elders had to offer the younger ones and how much wisdom the younger ones had to offer the elders. And so um, I didn't do it at the church where we are now because I'm tired of teaching Sunday school, and there's not one. They're all divided by age, and that's a big miss right there. When people ask me about how my group is going, um, what they often say here is I just call it my church because that's what I feel that this is. Um, Mm -hmm. And there's a small step, like everyone is invited, but there's another group that meets on Thursday from this, just that we read an additional book and talk about that every week. And it really is like sort of situation that where we all have these narratives and stories about ourselves um, joining this group where we didn't know anyone, it was like the possibilities of who you are allowed to be um, expanded infinitely because it was people seeing you from a fresh set of eyes without their own stories about who you are. And that has greatly impacted me. Um, in addition to the fact that um, it is so funny because in, in that Thursday group, a lot of times the the younger of us in the group are often speaking to how much we gain from the wisdom of those that are um, older in age, but not in spirit. And, and I'm always still shocked whenever they say the opposite, but I really just think, and have come to accept rather than deny that, um, that we all just have a lot to offer each other in perspective and it doesn't have to be like one way. I'm always astonished by how much Joel teaches me. I, and part of that's cause he's my kid. So, you know, um, but I, I learn so much from him, and he protects me in ways that I could never protect myself Mm. because he's the age he is and not my age. Mm. So my question for you is, now I'm taking over your group, if you've noticed that, but I'm going to back up again in just a minute. But the question I want to ask you is, what were your expectations when you started the group, and Mm. how have they come true or been not, at all what really happened and did you know in the beginning that you would have so much to offer I didn't have any expectations of the group when we during that year everything was we need to try new things like we, there wasn't there was no workshops to be done there was no there people couldn't come to the mica center so you know when we did the y'all reference the videos I had to pull them all down because we used to use a different uh, service and they're like, you got to download these or, and they're gone off the internet. Um, we're like, okay, so I got to put those up on the table. I'll do that. But we're like, let's just uh, sit around and do this then. And then that way we can reach people. And then it was, uh, you know, so people have referenced that boot camp from 2020. That was the first event, let alone a boot camp that had been streamed. That's right. Uh, by LTM at least. I mean, not streamed in the world uh, that you did that was streamed by LTM. It was okay. How are we going to do get back to small groups then? Rana pointed out that she had the DVDs 
Well, before that, they were only they were physical DVDs on the cover. It says a DVD curriculum. So then we're like, all right, well, what if we upload them to the internet and make them available and then do it this way? I hoped one that the classes would fill because that would be a bummer. Um, so then when that happened, I was like, yes. Then I thought we'd do the 12 weeks and then I'd start another group. And, you know, that, that would just kind of be a part of this. That was the first one. Our group was the first online group that I did. And so while I'd, uh, I had facilitated in-person groups here at the Micah Center, those didn't continue on. You know, we kind of did it and people, uh, some friendships came from that. You know, Whitney still talks to a couple people from our group and we met some people. But, you know, then that was that was it. Well, with this one, y'all want to keep this thing going. And then it did. And that set the, I don't know if it set the bar, but I think literally every single group since then has continued. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And there for a while, I continued with some other groups. And then finally, I was just like, you know, I've my, my boat's full and I'm not contributing. And, you know, uh, but they're still going on. Um, people that are in your cohorts, uh, like golf and Ben's seven of them lived here in Dallas and they meet at one of their houses now. Just very cool. You're asking us something that stood out from our time. And I would say when we got to have a sneak peek of curriculum and got to have some feedback before it was published, that made me feel very honored, um, at our, at, for us as a group. And also maybe it's my two-ness, but I was also looking, it felt very good to be helpful. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it just to be a part of your calendar because you had, you know, I, I don't know, I, I felt very, very good to feel useful and, and helpful in that group as, as small of a help it might've been, but it was, I liked that a lot. Thank you. I don't know what you're going to do with all of this. And I know that you edit me a lot and I don't want this edited out. We'll see what happens. Every single thing you mentioned as a result of the lockdown and the pandemic to keep LTM moving, literally every single thing was your idea. And that's because, yeah. that's because, exactly. And that's because we didn't know enough to have the idea. And mm -hmm. that's a perfect example of what happens when old people think they don't need young people. I'd like to take that and take another step further talking about this one. I think that same thing can be true for our group without the different contributions that everyone have, has made now over the past four years, we wouldn't still be meeting. Yeah. You know, if we're making a parallel, if I had a role to play there during the pandemic, I mm -hmm. played my role mm -hmm. and it, it didn't remain my role moving forward or prior to that. And I think kind of same with this group, you know, there have been times that I don't know if we said this earlier, but dear God, I hope not. This is not my group. This is, this has become our group. And in that light, I'd be like, Hey, how about we check out this book? Sweet. Hey, how about we talk about this? And then I love honestly the weeks when someone's hopped on and just started saying, this is going on in my life. And then we talked about that for an hour and a half. I, in my language, what you all really have is a spiritual formation group. Ooh. And one of the things, Joe and I have, uh, most of our married life had been part of one. 
But one of the things that is true and that I will probably, with your permission, use your group as an example when I'm asked that question, this question, and that is you can't add anybody to your group at this point. You can't do it. You can't catch people up relationally. You just can't. And so ultimately they become closed groups. And sometimes for twos and uh, fours, it feels like, well, we could, we ought to let her in. We ought to let him in. We, it'd be, we could make room and I could catch him up. No, you can't. You, you cannot do it. So I'm glad y'all have had a good boundary around that and that I don't belong. <laughs> <laughs> Marty, for some reason, uh, reverted back to, did you intentionally click the raise your hand thing? Is that? Believe it or not, I did. Okay. Actually. All right. And then I feel like Matt raised his hand too, minute. I don't know when we started raising our hands, but. Well, I just didn't want to jump in over somebody. So I figured, and I just want to, um, reiterate and really, really praise you all for your foresight in putting things online. I mean, I am a hundred percent serious when I say that in early March, I really wanted to do the curriculum, but in my brain, I thought there is no way I can go to Dallas. And now I've been in two, fortunately in two cohorts, I could have gone to Dallas, but that wasn't anything. I don't think I'd ever, I've been to Dallas for one night before in my life. Um, but I wouldn't have known that. And um, what I would like to especially emphasize about these groups, I think this Monday morning group has really shown that if um, if one is willing to do the Zoom thing, you there's no limit to the closeness you can find. So we many of us met in person last August as we shared an Airbnb, but we had a bond from years ago and felt like we knew each other. And I think that they're, they're just people who will not participate in Zoom, and that's fine too. It's nice that you're doing both things. But when I lead the curriculum groups, I have people in four time zones. I've got people all across the country. And in numerous groups, people have met other, I had one group where a woman from Baton Rouge um, found out that her daughter lived on the same street as my cousin in Denver, Colorado. In the group I'm leading right now, there's a woman from Gainesville who used to live in Charlottesville and went to the same church and knows someone else who's in the group, just because I was the common denominator and we knew each other through different paths. But I just want to say that I think this is not just a COVID thing. Um, I hope that this will, the Zoom, I think it provides um, an incredible ability to have a close group that has actually a sense of anonymity or safeness, because as you become friends, you know, we all come from different places, but we can bring so much, so many different experiences to this. Um, I will say I'm always looking for more um, men and diversity in the groups, but um I just think that's a genius. So kudos to you all for making that available and um, and providing streaming when you do events. I think you've really opened the doors for people who want to be involved. Marty, we bring up the main thing for people that are listening. If you're a guy, join a group. Whenever we, yes, with every single group, I don't think we've had more. If there's 25 people in a group, we've never had more than four guys. Yeah, that's two, three, and fours. Just we throw a parade. So, yeah, dear Lord, please join groups. Man, I don't want to say this and it not be true. I don't know if I'd have kept up, kept with the group if Matt hadn't kept with the group. 
if it was me and seven women. Like that, that's my life already. That's I, what I was going to say. That's your life all the yeah. time. So that makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And so do and we, probably likewise. Although I love you all. Exactly. But most of the group I call my, my other moms. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what I would have missed if what Matt and I would have missed if the other one hadn't been in the group, because right. like I said, it's not Matt makes this group for me now. It's just that I wouldn't have kept with it without another uh, male in it. I don't think. I'd love to add to that. I, um, additionally, I think we've all been able to use times where we could ask each other um, a question because of the, you know, the number type, whatever that the other person is pertaining to a relationship that we're involved in. For example, Chelsea, you know, you when you've asked about your mom or different perspectives and I being 30 years older than you maybe can see things in a different way and I'm the same type as your mom and vice versa when I can ask you all about things that maybe my children you know interactions with other generations so when you talk about the intergenerational value um there's nothing like it because there's nothing like hearing someone of a different stance try a number say something subtype whatever it is say something from their perspective yes. I can't think of that so thank you yeah and Another thing that I think has been really interesting is um, understanding the relationship with our stress and security lines. Like we've mentioned, we have a lot of twos in the group, and they often say that it's very helpful to have a four and some eights to kind of parse out where those behaviors are, are attached to stress and security and things like that. So to be able to hear other people's perspectives and all that has just been so helpful. And another thing I was going to say that uh, Chelsea mentioned earlier was we've all kind of said it's, it's a bit of a blank slate because we didn't know each other initially. And I think that that was really helpful for me with ego work because I felt like I've always been known for a lot of my four attributes, like you are so creative and like nobody here knows anything about that aspect of me. So it's just allowed me to kind of embrace what I feel like is more like my true self versus like leaning on those things that just the outside world is just um, defining me as and that all of my life, that's how I got by, you know, that was very comfortable. So in, in some ways it was, kind of uncomfortable not having those crutches to lean on but in a lot of ways it made it very freeing and I think um going back to what you were mentioning about um the confidence Joel I think that that might have been what allowed me to kind of find that confidence and and leaning more into that true self nature is just kind of just playing with it here expressing things that maybe in my real life circles I couldn't say or was afraid to say and having it held and like oh they didn't run away they still like me when I'm not just leaning on those four things that everyone else is characterizing me by so that's just another um beautiful aspect that this group has provided for me you talk about the Enneagram what you teach is not who we are. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like that's what Jennifer just talked about. Like we started with the anagram and the stuff, but then we got to, as the time's gone by and the more time we spent together, 
got to more of who we are than when we first met. Yeah, if you think about the questions that people ask one another when they first meet, all of them support false self. And so then that's what you begin to build the relationship on. And when you take that away simply by the reality that it's an Enneagram, num- uh, an Enneagram group, then once you get past, when people walk in the Micah Center or when people get online, the first uh, question here is not, oh, where do you live? What do you do? The first question is, what's your number? And that changes the direction of the conversation. And that's one of the reasons I love it, because then you don't have to hold to it forever. But it's your backdrop so that it explains you when the others in your group are curious about why you're saying that. Oh, yeah, it's because that's how you see, and that's not how I see. That's why that's happening. It's fascinating to me. I don't know if y'all, I've, I've had a conversion experience. I haven't had one of those in a while because most of my Zoom experiences have not been life-giving or positive for me. But I don't have an ongoing, ongoing group. So, Marty, thank you so much for saying all of that and the rest of you for adding to that because feels to me like I can be a better advocate for um, Zoom groups and the reality that Joel doesn't have to lead all of them. You mentioned you kind of called what we've described as a spiritual formation group, which is, you know, that's been going on long before the idea of Zoom was ever thought of. You know, as we're looking forward, what have you seen that ends a spiritual formation group? Like where have you seen that turn and go wrong or divide it or split it up? If you'll answer that and then share the other side of that as someone who's been in a spiritual formation group for a long time, what are some advice, some suggestions, some, you know, in the big picture of things, three and a half years is not, not a long time, but it is also like the second longest relationship I've ever been in. So if I'm saying that I've got a relationship with this group, Um, those are good, hard questions. So spiritual formation groups don't last if somebody in the group starts to, uh, hold other people accountable for what they think their behavior should be, as opposed to holding people accountable for the things they've shared that they're trying to do with their lives that they feel like they won't do unless somebody kind of helps them stay on track. And in the spiritual formation groups that Joe and I have been in, one lasted for 20 years, and uh, it was a small group, uh, seven people, and destructive behavior by one person is what cost us that group. Then it just Mm. had to be... The whole group had to not be. Looking back, we should have ended that group before we did. Since then, uh, Joe and I have been a part of three spiritual formation groups. One was all clergy except me. And those clergy persons got moved. And so Zoom 
I don't even know if it was an option. Not a chance it was. No. So, <laughs> so that didn't happen. And um, now we're in a spiritual formation group that's all clergy except me. I think that all of you should feel the freedom to not be in this group. And I also think that it would be important that you be aware that it will take just as long to build what you've built with one built with one another if you start over and try to do it again. I feel like this group really represents what Glennon Doyle talks about being free and held at the same time. Yeah. Yep. That's it. And and everybody needs that. Our daughter Jenny um would say, I think, that her spiritual f- formation group is Joey, her sister, and me. Because she's not part of a group that isn't um, a social group. She is married to the most social human I have ever met, ever. And he's a six on the Enneagram. And he he's just so social. And she's an introverted nine, so she's tired most of the time and doesn't want to be part of a group. I'm saying all that just to say but you have to have somebody and she knows that. So, uh, she told, we try to do a girl's trip. We used to do it every year and now we try for every other year. And she told Joey and me on a girl's trip that she wanted to be a therapist. She wanted to go back to school and get her master's degree and be a therapist. And she said accurately, and without you holding my feet to the fire, I will never do it. And that's true. And she's a therapist. So I think what happens in, in groups like this one is y'all are close enough and you speak inclusive language by the very fact that you started as an Enneagram group. And so I think you'll know if and when it shouldn't be a group anymore. And I don't think that should be something you look for or wonder about. I think it will come to you. And I don't think not meeting on Mondays means you won't be a group anymore either. The only other thing I would say about that is if if your group ends in its current form, don't look to repeat it because you won't be able to. And if you start a new group, it won't be this group. So don't don't have this be the model because it can't model anything except what y'all are let whatever other group you are part of or want to be part of be what it is. And that'll be much healthier and better for you, I think. And if this group decides that um, you're not going to meet any longer as a group, then you need to grieve that and you need to know that it's going to be a loss that you will look back on forever as loss. So don't just think, oh, okay, well, it's kind of time, you know, maybe, I don't know, three years from now, it's time. We, we can't, we just can't do this anymore because one of us has this job and one of us can't and all that. Then stay together to grieve that. And I'll help you if you need help. And then, because that's essential. Well, this is a seven in me. That all sounded like a lot of doom and gloom. I don't plan on this this ending anytime soon yeah i don't think <laughs> i i think y'all ought to nurture it and water it and help it grow because it's hard hard to build 
I was going to ask Joel. I hope there's no premonition no. <laughs> here. But I brought Suzanne you. to ease the blow. No. Uh, <laughs> Are we breaking up? Is that what this is? No. <laughs> Any questions that y'all want to ask Suzanne or ask each other or whatever? Okay. So one of my favorite things about this group is that anytime that I like put together or posit some sort of theory with Enneagram, they're always um, eager to listen and give me give that consideration. And um, so I actually share with um, your daughter, Jenny, um, the desire to go back to school to get my master's in counseling. So I am in school um, currently, and it's been really interesting to be putting Enneagram alongside a lot of the psychology sort of things that we learn about. And um, in a lot of Carl Jung's work, he talks about um, like the shadow side and things like that. And so I was kind of thinking like, okay, how does this tie into Enneagram? And as I was trying to think through like the motivations, it just like hit me one day, like in like the best, but also worst way um, that I'm like, okay, what if it's true that your security number is like, is basically the part of your ego that is so, that has been so wounded that you are basically unaware of it, that that becomes your shadow side. And so I was trying to think, okay, um, of course I was thinking about it in um, relativity to other numbers. And then when I thought about it in relativity to eight, which would be that like the wound that I can't, that I can't even acknowledge um, because it's so painful would be um, that of the two that like I'm unlovable. And just like when I put that together, it just like instantly felt like brought me to my knees and anytime that I've spoken to other people, even that, that maybe I've kind of talked to about Enneagram enough that I, that they have discovered their number or have a pretty good understanding. And then I, I suggest that every time it's been like that kind of gut punch. Um, okay, Jennifer, you, I feel like I might be forgetting a lot of things. Okay. But. So, so like, for example, for a four, um, so my childhood message would be that like there's something wrong or flawed about me and I just like a missing piece I just don't know what so the message of a one which would be my um security number if that's my shadow would be um that I am not good and I do feel like under the like the thing that I am compensating for in saying that I have something inherently flawed about me as a four is covering up the idea that that I am like not good basically and um and so then like we parsed it out with twos so they are always like trying to do things to be loved and it's because shadow side of four they feel that they um have something within them that isn't lovable and so they're trying to like compensate by by trying to do things to prove that they are lovable and so we parse that out like through this group um and it just seems like it hits something real deep that resonates with each of us so we would love to hear your thoughts on that Suzanne <laughs> Yeah, and, and the last thing that I'll say about that is that it basically is as though the Enneagram number that you identify with 
is what we cling to, kind of like what you talked about with false self. We cling to our false self in fear of our true self and and the wounding message that we received then. Like we can't even recognize it because it is so painful. And so like for me as an eight, it's like I so identify as being like independent and not needing other people because I have such a fear of that like I'm just not lovable that like and and if someone would have posited this to me a few years ago there is no way that I would have read like I would be like no that is not true at all but it's just it's only because I've done a lot of work on myself that I can see like oh I really think there's something to that so okay that's all well one of the things that I've been working on for the last three years is that I've connected all the lines and I've done the work in my written work, I have connected every number with all the lines except that I have not talked about where false self is. And I'm positive that false self is in the low side of your security number. I'm absolutely sure it's there. And I've talked to maybe 25 people about it. And they've responded exactly like y'all are talking about it. It is like a gut punch because it's the low side. And otherwise, if that, my question was, okay, if I'm teaching people that they can't take care of themselves without the number they go to in stress, then what do I need to teach people about if they and I've always said you can't experience holistic healing without the number that you go to in security but I didn't know what the steps were toward holistic healing until about three years ago when I found myself behaving badly and journaling and I went back and looked at it and I thought I sound like an unhealthy four and then I thought, oh, that, well, that's because that's my false self. So since there are a bunch of twos, I can tell you that anytime, I, what I think, anytime twos are cloying, which I hate that word. I hate the definition and I hate the word. Anytime, anytime that twos are cloying, they're in false self in the unhealthy side of four. And so I started working it through all the numbers, and it fits. So that would be a great master's thesis. People are, university folk are a lot more open to the Enneagram than they were 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, 5 years ago. They're much more open. Our son-in-law, Billy, who's married to Joey, wrote his... um, They call it a treatise in education instead of a dissertation for your PhD. And he wrote his on the Enneagram in education, and they loved it. You stay on that, and I'll talk to you about it anytime you want to, because that's that's a thing. So do you think like the shadow side is the low number of your security number, or and that like the high side of your security number is where like the truest self is like that would be like you reaching your potential through like integrating all the different things through the through your um stress and then the 
working up from the low side of your security number? I think what we could say to start that conversation and then observe people for a while is uh, I would say that's when you're at your healthiest, which means you're your most balanced. And if you're your most balanced, you don't need your false self. So if you're balancing orientation to time and you're balancing subtypes and you're balancing with your wings, then you, you don't need your false self. It's so interesting to me, Thomas Merton said, True self is anytime you're unoffendable. Sorry. So so he goes on to say, I wish I'd never read these words. Anytime you're offended, it's your false self. So I hope that didn't offend anybody. So literally, I get offended. And if I start to think that's your false self, Suzanne, I am so immature about that. I start thinking, get thee behind me. (laughs) I have a right to be offended, which is just deeper false self. Suzanne, would you consider doing a boot camp on that? Actually, what we're considering but haven't fully decided on uh, for this time is relationships. And if we uh, stick with relationships, then absolutely that will be part of it. Because that's when people that you're in relationship with look at you like, what? is happening why are you being that way what makes you think that and I think the reason that it took me a while because I've been trying to complete all the lines and all the things for a long time and I think one of the reasons it took me a while to find false self is because I have confusion because I'm adopted and and that adoption story fits the unhealthy four in me perfectly. And Mm -hmm. so then, you know, I can take on all the stuff of, and here's why, because I'm flawed in some way and there's nothing I could do about it. And so I would hope that if y'all are thinking about and talking about that, that you would share with me, us, if you discover anything that you think kept you from seeing your false self mm-hmm. in your security number, like I experienced that. Because if we're going to say that you have to have the number you go to in stress to teach you something, then you have to have the number that you go to in security to teach you something. And I think the reason the teaching is true that so few people spend a lot of time in security is because we haven't counted the time they spend in false self. And if you tap into what you think is secure and then it isn't, then you fall right into false self to try to explain that to yourself somehow. And so I, I absolutely think it's a thing. And um, as far as I know, nobody's talking about it but us. Can you repeat the, I just want to make sure I understand the question is um, what keeps you in, in false self and prevents you from seeing that that's the case? Is that what you asked us to be thinking about? Well, what I'm kind of looking for is adoption is what kept me from seeing that as my false self. Cause I had another story running that fits the bottom of four. 
And so I didn't see it as false self. I saw it as that's where I go when I feel unwanted and unloved and not valuable and all the things. But if I wasn't adopted and I didn't carry that story, then I would have asked different questions about feeling the way I feel when I'm in unhealthy four. And the problem with it that's so tricky is that I can't, for example, I can't write. I can't create new programming unless life's lined up pretty well and I'm in four because that's where my creativity is. And so I, I used to ask myself the question, what happens when I'm trying to create something new and I just feel like the bottom falls out? And then I say, I shouldn't be doing this. I don't know enough to do this work, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's false self. I do know enough and I should be doing it. And I hit a hurdle and it didn't feel secure. And so I thought I went back to stress. But instead, I went to unhealthy secure number. So, you know, one of the things I say, a lot of times you have to look at, you have to be able to counter what you're saying with what happens on the other side. So one of the things that I would say is this, when as a two, when I go to eight, if I go to the healthy side of eight, that's the only place I can take care of myself. It's the only place I can say no. It's the only place I can say that's not mine to do or I, it's the only place. But when I'm in the low side of eight and eights don't, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. When I'm in unhealthy eight, I'm just a bitch. So I still say no, but it's mean. It has the wrong energy behind it. Well, then why wouldn't it be true that you can have the wrong energy behind what you're doing or saying if you're in the unhealthy side of your secure number? It would be true. And so one of the things you can look at is why is the energy wrong? And I think the reason when eights go to two and then the low side of two in security. I think they go to the low side fairly quickly and don't want to revisit that place because there's a neediness there that's not familiar and that is not desirable. Yeah. I would say that the reason that I go to that is because I, it contradicts my belief that I don't need anybody and I have that belief um, for many different reasons, but um, I have sexual assault in my history and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of um, stories that I have built up around that, that I can't depend on other people and I have to take care of myself. And, um, and I fall like back to the belief of like, nope, I can't, I have to deal with it by myself and stand independent. Yep. And so I also have sexual abuse in my history along with being adopted. Mm-hmm. And and so the story that I told myself when I first started learning the Enneagram is if, if I had known how the Enneagram and if I had known how to uh, um, incorporate eightness, then I would have taken better care of myself. I would have handled that moment during that abuse differently. I would have done ABC. And I'm telling you this to tell you that doesn't get you anywhere, so don't do it. You don't need to answer those questions. It's not helpful. And, and, but 
for one moment, it can give you an explanation for some behavior in relationship to sexual abuse. And don't take it, don't put it in your pocket and take it with you. But if it shows you that in moments when you're looking at these lines and connections, then that I think we consider as a gift. Yeah, it takes a lot of the pressure and shame off of that. Yeah, it does. And if you think about it, if you do the shame, fear, and anger work, and then you add that layer on top of what we're talking about, then as a two, when I'm dealing with shame, if I go to four, I'm still dealing with shame. It's a struggle when you don't get to change uh, default emotions. Yeah, and I would say as an eight, shame is the one of those three that I'm most unfamiliar with, it, like being aware of in myself. And when I try to like pause and zoom out, um, it really is. I'm like, okay, I'm not actually angry about this. And I think I maybe I feel a little bit scared. That's easy for me to admit. But yeah. then almost always underneath, it's like a like a shame of like you should have known better. Yeah, shame's a really tricky one if you're not mindful of it in the two, three, four space. And so lots of people, I don't know if y'all have noticed, but for that triad, people try to come up with other things for it to be. uh, Let's have it, people will say, instead of shame, let's have it be grieving. Well, no, because it isn't grieving. It's shame. We can't do grieving. Joel's back, and I'm so glad because he and his dad have often said years ago, Joel until just recently, I just don't feel shame. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And Joel told me that uh, I had to see the Barbie movie. And uh, I said, why? And he said, well, for a lot of reasons. But one of the things that happened for me is I felt shame for the first time. What? How? Why? (laughs) Sorry, I had to get up. One, I can't find my water bottle, and that's driving me a little insane. But that's not important. And I needed some water. So I missed a little bit. No, it's a Texas Ranger one. So oh. I missed a little bit about oh, what we were talking about. Oh, we're going to get it in today. No, it, it's a Texas <laughs> Ranger water bottle. I can't describe it as something else. It's not a world championship Texas Ranger oh, water okay. bottle. Okay. Well, perhaps I'll get you one of those. Um, You know, someone was like, well, what's the Barbie? Like, what's it about? And I was honest about that, too, with them. This was this past weekend. I was like, I got to watch it like kind of without my kids and so on, because I honestly don't know. <laughs> I think it's about so many things. I think what an individual's interpretation of the movie, I think it says a lot about them. And so everyone, I think a lot of people are going to interpret it differently in both hmm. possibly good ways and possibly bad ways. And um, But I think it's a very self-reflective movie. So for me... Uh, I don't know why this popped in my head. I don't remember that song. The opening lyric is, y'all don't know what it's like being male, middle class, and white. And it's, um, anybody remember the song, what that is? Mm-hmm. I'll think, I'll find it later. As promised, I found the clip. It is Rockin' the Suburbs by Ben Folds. Let me tell y'all what it's like. Being male, middle class, and white It's a bitch if you don't believe Listen up to my new CD, Shamon You know, if shame is who you are, you say Like it's not, you did something wrong Right, it's uh, about who you are, not it's what about you who do. are. And so, and I, despite, I've done so many things wrong over the years And I never, like, like, hey, I've never thought you're a bad person 
you're bad because of this. You are flawed. You are whatever. It's just you got to do better. And I think that's great. You know, I think that's why I'm blessed to have that line with one. It's like, you, you got to do better, man. <laughs> that's where that is for me. Well, for women and people in other cultures, you know, people that don't have all the privilege that I have, this is nothing new. And so when it's nothing new for anyone else, for then for white men in America, I don't know. I, it, in Barbie land, second class, like they're not Barbies. Like where did the kids stay? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not in Barbie's dream house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and you know, in the, in the Grammy award winning or Emmy award winning song uh, about Ken, he's like anywhere else I'd be a 10, but here I'm, I'm just Ken. By and the I, way, that was on good morning America uh, today. It, it's, it's a great song. It's a great movie. It's a great <laughs> song. Everyone should see it. But I My think point that, was Good Morning America is good. Oh, okay. <laughs> People feel that all the time, and I've never felt that. So I don't know. I just, it's about, I think it's about that Ken is representing being in a one down position. Yeah. Instead of always being on top. So this isn't my take, and I know for a fact this is some human's take that. Barbie world is supposed to be reversed. Like that's part of the movie. Like they go to the real world and then he's like, we got to bring patriarchy back to Barbie land. That's right. And and it's just like, Oh man, you know, I think that's what everybody does when watch a movie. Who do you identify with? And, Mm -hmm. and that's the whole point of what they talked about, about Barbie, how it's, you know, they've got all the different, they had disabled Barbie and plus size Barbie and black Mexican, you know, the president is a black female in Barbie. All the, they've got all this representation. Who do I identify with in that movie? Well, not the uh, protagonist. And I would have never dreamed because if you're in my generation, then you uh, thought Barbie was terrible, and what she represented was terrible, and we wanted that to not be a reality. So well, that's what I, the little girl felt yeah, exactly. in the movie. And so when I heard that there was a Barbie movie and people started telling me I should go see it, I thought, you, I lived it. I don't need to go see a Barbie <laughs> movie. But when you told me you felt shame for the first time, I was there, baby. <laughs> that's odd. I think you need to look at that. Like, okay. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is fascinating is that Barbie culture was lived out far more in my generation than in yours and your generation is fixing it and and trying to and speaking into it and offering all the things and i don't know why my generation didn't do that things evolve is it fair to say that barbie tried to shape your generation of women whereas now women are shaping barbie oh i like that I like that too. You, when did you get so smart? (laughs) Margot Robbie's Barbie is a stereotypical Barbie. She's, you know, she was the first one and it's just from what I heard and what I remember and what TV says, that's what, you know, watching Mad Men, the the women behaving in Mad Men, Mm -hmm. uh, not behaving. That sounded bad though. The women portrayed in Mad Men, um, versus now it's not that way. It's, And you know what happened to women my age? When we left that lifestyle 
and tried to find our way in the world, it's when we lost being friends with one another. Every generation of women before my generation, before baby boomers, women were support groups for one another. And in my generation, for the first time, women were competing for the same jobs. And the toll that it took was we had to we had to fight the fight of it it was either and both were equally bad in quotes. It's bad to be a stay at home mom. It's bad to not be a stay at home mom because we were the generation that had to do that first. Like I didn't have women friends until very recently, last 10 years. And I'm still more comfortable with men, men and pastors. It sounds like (laughs) I just hang out with the clergy, you know, (laughs) You know, that's so interesting because my husband has noticed that in the medical world that sometimes um, women, and I'm really our generation, Suzanne, maybe 10 years younger, but who are, um, you know, have made it. He sees this behavior of, well, I had to do that. And so I don't see anything wrong with, you know, the next generation coming along having to do and and dealing with childcare and different things. It's kind of like he says that sometimes the women are the toughest on each other, which I think is interesting. It's absolutely true in our generation. And I don't think it's true for younger women. Thank God. I mean, I think that's a real lovely thing, but I, if you look for the reasons why, I think that's part of it. Suzanne, have you read um, Ken Wilber's, any of Ken, Ken Wilber's work? I have, and it, you must be way smarter than me, girl. It is hard. <laughs> I have to read that one paragraph at a time. Same. Um, there's one that is like a very small um, book. It's like not even 200 pages that I think is by far his most digestible that I've like tried to get anyone that I know that wants to read it to read. Um, it's called um, Trump in the Post-Truth World. Um, Don't forget. But that. he he breaks spiral dynamics down in like in that book in a way that is way more easy to conceptualize, I think. Thank but you so like- much, because I'm going to just be smarter now. And when oh, people okay. say, uh, what do you think about spiral dynamics? I, I will have a response other than, well, what do you think? <laughs> well, I know what it means, yeah. but what do you think it means? Yeah, exactly. So I'm all about it. I will have read that the next time you see my face. But I felt like Barbie really, like, put that into context. Like, it was... It was, um, you know, Mojo Dojo Casa House. That is kind of a, a thing of the past, it's just, hopefully. Um, but it's like reemerging, and it's like a a red level spiral dynamic. And then, and I I don't remember exactly all the different colors particularly, but I do remember he talks a lot about broken green, which would represent like progressive feminism, all these things, and how each level gets like hits a ceiling hits like the ceiling where it kind of becomes broken mm-hmm. um, and it's like barbie land was that because there is no such thing as one-way liberation like it's not put men down to let women be lifted up but right. that the idea that i came away with at the end was was not like oh yeah let barbie land continue on forever but like let's come up with a new third way where it's not having to step on anyone but just empowering all it just felt to me like the biggest representation of like the turquoise level I think is what it's called of spiral dynamics and Ken Wilber's book and I feel like even watching it you can watch that and come away with multiple different meanings 
different messages almost like um this morning i'm reading um richard roars yes and i just read one oh man me essay. too i'm doing that this year too every i love morning. it so much every morning and today's was about um how the bible can really be seen as a book of conflict and how it kind of mirrors back a lot of your own inner turmoil and things that you need to work out and how you can read how that's why Jesus taught in parables and all these different things that you can take away different levels of understanding as you, each time that you read them. And that's kind of what I thought the Barbie movie was such um, a really good representation of is just telling stories from multiple different perspectives and you can see what you're ready to see yep. at each point. Yep. I want to say something that I don't want recorded. Well, I wouldn't say it now. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but you can say in a minute, well, we, and we're up against the time wise anyway. So it's kind of, and then we'll not hit record and then you can say it Okay. or not hit record. Stop recording. Good God. We're up against time wise. Any final thoughts from both the Instagram Godmother side from our small group side, which is now going to be our spiritual formation group side. We'll, we'll rename the zoom and the group me and everything. Just thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. I was just going to say I'm so grateful. This has been so interesting. Thank you for including us. And I would just say today's conversation is a perfect example of kind of on our best days, uh, our groups, how we start with something. And then it, you know, Barbie was nowhere on our <laughs> conversation list or spiral dynamics or any of that and i just i love that's my favorite part about the group is that it is just yes, a that's definitely the magic of this group i'm not sure if this is true or not but i wonder if part of the magic of your group is that you don't all live in the same place or you don't go to the same church you don't work at the same university you don't you're not all in the same master's program because I, I was very curious listening to all of you talk about it at the very beginning when you were talking about your beginning with the group. And it was like, you know, I, I don't live near any of these people. I'm not going to run into them at work. I might as well just be myself. I don't have to be afraid to do that. And I now will spend a lot of time thinking about whether or not that might be the best possible way to set up an Enneagram group or a spiritual formation group. Because there's no, um, the other thing is I think it takes discipline to show up for the same thing over and over and over, no matter what it is. I get a haircut once a month. Joe and I go to the same person and we go get a haircut. I looked at my hair today and I thought, I love my hair so much right now, I'm not going to get a haircut right now. And then it was like it threw off my whole world to just think about, well, when will I get it? And then I'll be off schedule with Joe, and then what, blah, blah, blah. And I, I, it just fascinated me to recognize how much that was a part of the pattern of my life. And y'all have been together long enough that it's part of the pattern of your life. It's not a meeting that you go to. Right. So tend it, tend it with care. My theory is you're going to be around a long time. Yay. Thank I you. I like your theory. 
thank you all for a great, great Monday. And thank you so much, Mom, for, for talking to us today. And for everyone listening, uh, man, join a group. And if LTM groups are full, other places have groups. And start your own and all the things. And uh, you can email office at com if you need some help or have a question or two about that. And, and thank you all again. Yeah.